of a time of worship. I'm going to read this morning, it's a, a short passage from Isaiah, chapter 44, verses 1 through 5. It says, But now listen to me, Jacob, my servant, Israel, my chosen one. The Lord who made you and helps you says, Do not be afraid, O Jacob, my servant. O dear Israel, my chosen one. For I will pour out water to quench your thirst and to irrigate your parched fields. And I will pour out my spirit on your descendants, and my blessing on your children. They will thrive like watered grass, like willows on a river bank. Some will proudly claim, I belong to the Lord. Others will say, I am a descendant of Jacob. Some will write the Lord's name on their hands, and will take the name of Israel as their own. Father, I thank you, God, for this promise that you will... Pour out your water to quench our thirst, God, that you will irrigate our parched fields. Father, that you will not only bless us, but that you will bless our descendants. Father, we thank you for your promise. Father, that our descendants will call you Lord, will write your name upon their hands. Father, as we talked about last week and as we will continue, Father, that we would be a people that would call you our God because it is your desire and it is your purpose to call us your chosen ones. That you chose us, that we are set apart, that we are sanctified. Remind us of that today. And Father, for those in our family, Father, who may not know you, who have walked away from you, Lord, Father, we claim this promise this morning. We intercede on their behalf. Father, your word says that the seed of the righteous shall be saved. So, Father, I pray that you would honor that. Father, as we go into this time solely focused and fixed upon you, Father, we honor you for your sacrifice of your son, for Jesus, for your obedience. Holy Spirit, I pray that there would be no distractions, that we would have open hearts, a soft spirit, that as conviction would fall, that we would be quick to be obedient, to repent, that we would take this encouragement, and that we would be motivated to serve you with everything that we have. In Jesus' name, amen.
Father, there's none like you. For you alone are God. I pray even now, God, as Lord, we come to, to hear your word. Father, our hearts would be good soil to receive. God, that we wouldn't just be hearers of the word, but Father, that we would be doers of it. So whatever you have for each of us today, God, however, Holy Spirit, you need to minister to each of us today, pray, God, that we would be just open to, to your leading, to your direction. And Father, we would be a people who obey as you lead and direct, as you make the crooked path straight, Father. We thank you, Father, for your presence. We thank you, Father, for your peace. We thank you, Father, for the hope that we have in Jesus. And we know above all, Father, our hope in Christ will never disappoint us. So I pray that you bless the reading of your word today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans is where we're heading. And then we're heading to back to the Old Testament. We started last week. Um, probably over the next couple of weeks. This understanding that God, since the beginning, His purpose is to have a people that He will call His own. And in return, they will call Him their God. That they will live according to His ways and not their own. That their lives would be marked by Him, and in that, others would know that He is God. So I want to take a look in Romans before we head to Isaiah. In Romans chapter 1, verse 18 is where we're going to start. Now, we have a lot of scripture to kind of get through today, and I'm hoping we're able to get to where, I'm hoping we're able to stop, and we're going to hopefully stop in Zechariah today. But we're going to look here. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. <clears throat> Again, we have a lot today, so do what you got to do to kind of stay attentive to the word and reading of it. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. They began to think of think up foolish ideas of what God is like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. 
So they worshipped and served the things God created instead of the Creator Himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. God shows His anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They choose to worship the created instead of the Creator. God has made himself known to all. God, from the beginning, we understood from the scriptures from last week, even in the garden, when Adam and Eve sinned, God looked to the serpent and said, there's going to come one who is going to crush your head. Jesus, the Messiah, the one who would come to reconcile mankind back to God. That mankind, the created, can be restored back to the creator. And it's this incredible love story that no man could ever pen. God himself wrote it. But in this incredible love story, we see that there's a people who will not love their God. They will long to do their ways. They will go their ways. They will be led by their desires. They could care less to know of God, and, and yet they will care more about creating gods in their own image, making God common as if he is nothing. And so God turns them over abandons them. Have it. If that is your desire, if that is what you long for, then here. Have at it. And we see that as they now are consumed with everything that's within them of the sinful nature, of this nature that is a complete rebellion towards God, they begin to live lies that are utterly depraved, lost, seeking the things that God created to find hope and peace and security, and all along neglecting the only one who can offer that to them. It says here, in verse 26, that is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the woman turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relationships with women, burned with lust for other men. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of the sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do the things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. 
They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. Chapter 2. And he's writing, so we kind of get the full picture. He's writing to the Church of Rome. He's laying out this understanding of how those who live in rebellion towards God lives. People who do not call God their God. I don't believe in God. I don't believe in Jesus. This is what I believe in. This is how I'm going to live. And as it was then, and as it has been, so it is today, and it will be, people who refuse to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They refuse to believe that God sent His one and only Son into this world to redeem mankind. And so then, it transitions now to dealing with God's people. He's writing to the church. And he says to them, you may think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad, and you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself. For, for you, I'm sorry, for you who judge others do these very same things. Do we remember what was just read? How these people were living. Paul saying you're doing the same things. You're without excuse. You're God's people. He has set you apart. You have received salvation through Jesus. And he says, and yet you do the same things. And he goes on here and he says, and we know that God and his justice will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Verse 4. I've been stuck on verse 4 all week. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? His kindness... Other versions read that his kindness leads you to repentance. That God works in our lives. The Holy Spirit brings the conviction that's needed in our lives. He, he reveals the things that, that, that are in our hearts that are still in rebellion towards God. And, and yet, are we truly finding ourselves? In a place of humility, repenting. Have we forgot what repentance is? It's his kindness. His loving kindness. It's out of his kindness that he desires to turn us to him and bring us to repentance. Not to be a people who are still in rebellion towards him. Not to, people, to be a people who continue to demand our ways and then use him like he's a little you know, genie or you know, just do for me. No, 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 God. He's, he's God. And, and we need to get that, 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 that vision of, of 
who he is and, and all powerful. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. His throne has been established. And Jesus, our Lord and Savior, is seated at the right hand of the Father. A place of authority. It's our position as Christians that, that, we, that we have this identity of understanding that we are in Christ, that it's all because of Christ. It's nothing that we've done. It's all because of what He has done that we can have this relationship with God, that, that we can get up each day no matter what we're facing, no matter what we're going through, that we can stand and worship the Creator of heaven and earth. And yet, so many times, we take our eyes off of Him, and we forget that He's God. We forget all that He has accomplished for us, and we go back to our way of living. But who are we? It says here, In verse 4, chapter 2, don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that this kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? But because you are stubborn, this is the church he's writing to. Because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. But he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. There will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil. For the Jew first, and also for the Gentile. But there will be glory and honor and peace from God for all who do good. For, for the Jew first, and also for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. When the Gentiles sin, they will be destroyed, even though they never had God's written law. And the Jews who do have God's law will be judged by that law, when they fail to obey it, for merely listening to the law doesn't make us right with God. It is obeying the law that makes us right in His sight. Even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know His law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts, where their conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them that they are doing right. And this is the message I proclaim, that the day is coming when God, through Christ Jesus, will judge everyone's secret life. Our God. Our God. Who has established His throne. He has laid out this understanding of who He is to his people. Because remember, that's what we're discussing here. 
God has set apart all throughout the generations of people that he will call his own. And in return, they will call him their God. That they will live according to his ways. And the beauty of it all is that it's not forced. It's not slavery. No, it is a picture of pure freedom. That I live no longer for myself, but I live for the glory of God. God, have your way within my life. Father, teach me. And have you ever just thanked him for his discipline? Because the word of God says that he disciplines those that he loves. Have you ever just, just came to a, just a, a fullness of, of God? Like, oh, Jesus. No, no, no. Whatever's within me, God, search me. And not only search me, but I pray for a people, I pray for myself that we would be bold enough in this generation to say, Lord, test me. As David prayed. There's anything with Lead me to repentance. Because you're kind and you're gracious. You're patient. I don't want to continue to live for myself. I am yours. You are mine. There is a way in which we all live. So let's head back to Isaiah. Chapter 52. started in the Old Testament, we're working our way through Revelation, and just some of these scriptures that have really stood out to me over the years, where God is proclaiming that you are my people, you belong to me. I have saved you, I have redeemed you, I have called you my own, my very special possession. And so the scriptures that we're going to get into today may seem kind of heavy, they may, they may seem kind of like, oh, that's uncomfortable, but it's okay. Should feel uncomfortable. And I think we talked about it last week, and we talked about it for a long time, is that whenever we see God's wrath, we see God's love. Wherever we see God's love, we see God's wrath. You see, a people that's not forced, because we're not forced, it's a choice each day, throughout your day, to abide in Him, to remain in Him, to love Him. See, no greater love than this that can never be expressed or displayed, that a man or woman would lay down their life for their friend. Jesus is our example. That's what he did for us. And so when he, when God is pleased to reveal himself to us through his son Jesus, we just instinctively just lower ourselves down and, oh God, we receive this free gift of salvation. We are marked as God's people. God, that should excite us this morning. It should excite us, it, it excite us daily. We are marked as his own. No one is ever going to love you like that. 
Jesus that, that draws us to repentance. He knows what sin can do. He knows that the flesh only knows how to die. He knows that which is waging war against you. And the good news is, he's already defeated it. We're his people. Now it's just time to grow up in it, to mature in it. Again, it's not about being perfect. It's not about trying to impress man. It's not trying to about following all the laws and the rules. No, it's just freedom. Even Paul tells the church in Galatia, listen, don't use your freedom to get entangled up again in slavery. He also tells them, he says, why are you trying to work it out in your flesh, that which you received in the Spirit? You've been born again. So we're to live differently. The same issues that we face today, we can learn from those long ago. God called these people as his own. The Messiah was to come through this nation. God purposed them. And yet, they still rebelled. Isaiah 52 I love the title of this chapter. Deliverance for Jerusalem. Wake up, wake up, O Zion. Clothe yourself with strength. Put on your beautiful clothes, O holy city of Jerusalem. For unclean and godless people will enter your gates no longer. Man, this beautiful picture of redemption. Rise from the dust, O Jerusalem. Sit in a place of honor. Remove your chains of slavery from your neck. O captive daughter of Zion, for this is what the Lord says. When I sold you into exile, I received no payment. Now I can redeem you without having to pay for you. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Long ago, my people chose to live in Egypt. Now they are oppressed by Assyria. What is this? asked the Lord. Why are my people enslaved again? Those who rule them shout in exaltation. My name is blasphemed all day long, but I will reveal my name to my people. And they will come to know its power. Then at last they will recognize that I am the one who speaks to them. How beautiful are the mountains. I'm sorry, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger who brings good news. The good news of peace and salvation. The news that the God of Israel reigns. The watchmen shout and sing with joy, for before their very eyes, they see the Lord returning to Jerusalem. Let the ruins of Jerusalem break into joyful song. And I don't know about you. But when I read that scripture, something just within me just wants to shout. Because have you ever been in ruins? Have you ever been just in a place of despair? People can look at your own life, and you can even look at your own life, and it looks like it's just of no hope. It's in ruins. 
and yet left the ruins of Jerusalem break into the, a joyful song. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. There's nothing like the Lord's comfort. Amen. In the midst of utter darkness and hopelessness, when the light bursts forth, the new day begins. The Lord has demonstrated His holy power before the eyes of all the nations. All the ends of the earth will see the victory of our God. And, and do you remember last week, I, I reminded us that the nations back in those days, they weren't afraid of the Israelites. They were afraid of their God. And so could you imagine when the Lord allowed them to go in to slavery? Allowed them to experience what it's like to live for themselves. The other nations begin to blaspheme God, begin to mock them. Captivity. With everything you touch is unclean. Where everything you touch is unclean. Get out of there and purify yourselves, you who carry home the sacred objects of the Lord. You will not leave in a hurry running for your lives. For the Lord will go ahead of you. Yes, the God of Israel will protect you from behind. And this beautiful picture of Jesus comes forth from this prophecy. See, my servant will prosper. He's talking about Jesus here. He will be highly exalted. But many were amazed when they saw him. His face was so disfigured, he seemed hardly human. And from his appearance, one would scarcely know he was a man. And he will startle many nations. Kings will stand speechless in his presence. For they will see what they had not been told. And they will understand what they had not heard. Chapter 53. Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in a dry ground. There is nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. Jesus. He was beaten so that you and I 
could be whole. He was whipped so he could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow, follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone. But he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich, rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan. It was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. <coughs> he was accounted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. That's our God. That is whom, if you're sitting here today and you say that you are a Christian, that you have been engrafted into the family of God, that you have been given the right to call him Daddy. Oh, God, that the church would arise and know our identity. we will live as such. That we understood what it cost him. And yet he bore it. Yet he, he went through it because he knew that in the end he would be satisfied. Because many would come to know that he is God. Many would come to know to place their, their hope and their trust in him. Like God, you are for us and not against us. That we are above and not beneath. That no weapon forged against us shall prosper. And I love this understanding that I read, the, I think it was last week sometime. It said that the word of God never said a weapon wouldn't be come, come against you. It just wouldn't prosper. The weapon may be forged, but it will not prosper. Because we can trust in the fact that God is for us. And whatever the enemy may try. God, our God, can turn it around for his good. Wow. This is our God. This is whom we say we serve. God's plan. And I love how he kept saying God's good plan. It doesn't make sense to the natural mind. God, couldn't there be another way? But no. He had to come. There had to be 
will go and redeem my people. <clears throat> go to Jeremiah chapter 7. Start at verse 16. Seven, verse 16. So we just read this incredible picture of, of redemption. And I've always thought, man, God raised up these prophets for his people to go forth and proclaim God's word to them. These people were not listening. They ended up killing the prophets. They, and I think to myself, God, and you see, if you've never studied the prophets, please go study it. It's the most fascinating read because these men's obedience. I mean, God himself told them, go tell my people, but they're not going to listen. Well, God, isn't there another way? Go tell them this, 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 this is going to happen to them if they don't turn to me. But they're not going to listen. They're going to strike you down. They'll tear you apart. But go. And they went. And they stood there. And they proclaimed, turn to God. Turn to our God. Stop your rebellion. Stop going that way. And it irritated the people. So the people kept finding themselves in captivity. Shackled up. Enslaved. But that was not their position. That's what they chose. Can we grasp that? That's not our position. That's what we choose because we willfully, willingly sin. We continue to sin. And you say, but, but we're just human, we're just flesh. And I keep reminding you all, if that is your identity, then yes, that's all you will be and you will remain rebellious towards God. You have to see who you are now in Christ, this new creation. You have been born again of the Spirit. You must now learn how to walk according to the Spirit ways as He leads. You're not going to be perfect. And that's why in 1 John it says, I write to you that you will not sin. But if you do, remember Jesus. Remember His kindness. He's patient. His kindness leads you to repentance. See, everything out there wants to strip you of your identity to keep you from his presence, to keep you enslaved to the temporalness of life, to the things that are created instead of the creator. These people find themselves Worshipping idols now. They're lost. And yet they're God's people. They've been marked by God. Other nations know this about them. 
and yet they see how they've crippled. The enemy is very subtle. He knows how to come in and throw doubt and confusion. Did God really say? Doesn't this feel good? Or he keeps us searching for significance. He keeps us searching for value in relationships and all this junk that's out there. And yet all along, he's, he's attacking our identity as God's special possession. And we're believing him. We're choosing to go and to live how we want. Oh, but God help us. We opened up in Romans. Do we think God is pleased with our lives? As in today, the world looks at the church. They will talk about our God. But they're quick to not so much attack Him, but to attack us, who are to be living for Him. You go out in the world, you talk, you ask someone... What about the church? What about Christians? And we all know the common answer, they're hypocrites. They're no different. Their God has no power. How's that? We're God's people. And that's not the truth of the identity of the church. Because truth is, the church, the bride of Christ, is without spot and blemish, all because of Jesus. The truth is, is that the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. Amen. Now, the religious sitting in the church is making a, mo a mockery of who God is. But the remnant is living for God. They know who they are. They know the hour in which God has purposed them. And they're seeking him above all. So let the world say what it wants. Let the religious keep running amok. But those who are faithful will endure to the end. And they shall, the word of God says, be saved. Idolatry is running amok. God's people. And this is what God says. To Jeremiah. These words, as I sat and I was meditating on them, my heart was like, oh, I can't even imagine. All of us, at certain times, I'm sure, have, have been called to intercede or to pray. Pray for others. And God says, pray no more for these people. Jeremiah, do not weep or pray for them. And don't beg me to help them, for I will not listen to you. Don't you see what they are doing throughout the towns of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem? No wonder I am so angry. Watch how the children gather wood and the fathers build sacrificial fires. See how the women knead dough and make cakes to offer to the queen of heaven. And they pour out liquid offerings to their other idol gods. Am I the only one they are hurting? Ask the Lord. 
scripture that takes my breath away every time I read it, where it says, don't live lives that grieve the Holy Spirit. So, I don't want to live that way. God, I long to honor you. I thank you, and I can walk in the full assurance of who you are and who I am in Christ, all because of you. These people, God's people, were totally living. They were doing and running amok, living however they wanted to live, offering themselves to other idols. And God says, Am I the only one they are hurting? Most of all, they hurt themselves to their own shame. So this is what the Sovereign Lord says, I will pour out my terrible fury on this place. Its peoples, animals, and trees, and crops will be consumed by the unquenchable fire of my anger. And I know. It's quick to say, well, that's the God of the Old Testament. Jesus came. Jesus came, so now we're just under this, this way of life. Of God's grace. And that is true. But lest we remain ignorant, God's grace does not give you the right to remain in rebellion. It's because of Jesus and what Jesus accomplished, it's because of his grace that now we can be people who are transformed. Grace is the power to transform. It's not the power to keep you enslaved. We just read about Jesus, the suffering servant, and he came and he did that which was God's good plan, and he knew in the end it would satisfy him because there would be those who would come to him. He will have many descendants. Many descendants. And do we really want to be a people who say, I'm claiming God's son. What he endured, his sacrifice, the fullness of his resurrection, the power that he defeated sin and death. There is victory. There is hope and freedom has been established for mankind to be reconciled back to God. But yet I'm going to still live in rebellion and use his name. Oh, we better not be quick to walk and trample on his blood and splashing it up on others as if it means nothing. Because I know we like to keep the wrath of God in the Old Testament, but have we forgotten that he's returning? And he's returning with his wrath because of sin. Like this earth will finally Feel the weight of his wrath. Mankind, those who are still in rebellion, is going to endure his wrath and for eternity be separated from him. And yet, he is kind and gracious to hold it back so that we would repent and remain in him. 
not go wandering off to do whatever we want, to live however we want, to go back to the life that he freed us from, to get entangled all up in the foolishness and the chaos of this world, and be temporal-minded. No, 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 no. We're God's people. We are his representatives. Our lives are to be such. Oh, that's just hard preaching. Oh, that's just putting too much on us. Who says that? We do. I have. But when you see the greatness of his love, when you see the greatness of his power, when you, when you grasp the fullness of Christ and all that he endured so that we could be established and be co-heirs with him. That is not be a people like this. Verse 21, it says, This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel says, Take your burnt offerings and your other sacrifices and eat them yourselves. When I led your ancestors out of Egypt, it was not burnt offerings and sacrifice I wanted from them. This is what I told them. Obey me. And I will be your God. And you will be my people. Do everything as I say, and all will be well. But my people would not listen to me. They kept doing whatever they wanted, following the stubborn desires of their evil hearts. They went backward instead of forward. God may that not be of us. From the day your ancestors left Egypt until now, I have continued to send my servants the prophets day in and day out. But my people have not listened to me or even tried to hear. They have been stubborn and sinful, even worse than their ancestors. Tell them all of this, but do not expect them to listen. Shout out your warnings, but do not expect them to respond. Say to them, this is the nation whose people will not obey the Lord their God and have refused to be taught. Truth has vanished among, from among them. It is no longer heard on their lips. Shave your head in mourning and weep alone on the mountain. For the Lord has rejected and forsaken this generation that has provoked his fury. Chapter 8. Actually, no, go to Ezekiel, chapter 36. Now we're entering another passage of restoration, of healing. I mean, these God's people kept going in and out, in and out. The hope of restoration is always set before us. So when you hear again of, of God's wrath, when you hear that in your own self, that you're taking and you're hearing God's word and you're treating it as condemnation, like, oh, I'm just not worthy. Beat yourself up. Get up. In and of myself, in and of yourself, we would never be worthy. I can't fix myself. You can't fix yourself. All we can do is turn to the one who is calling us. 
come away with me. God, he calls us his beloved. Come. He longs to spend time with us. He longs to, to, to lead and direct and to discipline. He longs to reveal himself more and more to us. Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your body, with all of your strength. That's what we're called to do. This hope of restoration, this hope, it's constantly before us whenever we want, we wander off. I'm telling you, we're living in a generation, y'all, where such great deception has hit our land, and it's time for the church to really know her identity and to rise up and say, not on my watch. Not on my watch. I don't know about you, but the trials are more intense in our lives. I mean, look around. Things come to try to distract us, take our attention off the very hour in which we're living in. And we recognize that the word says that the enemy knows his time is near, so he's going to pour out his fury. That's why the church must truly be awakened. And I know it may offend you, because, Rob, you're always talking about the church, because I have a passion to see the church, to know her identity, because we're living in times of great deception among the lands. And we need to be shaken. We need truth to be established. He longs for his people to be restored, to remain with him. This is Son of Man, verse 36, prophesied to Israel's mountains. Give them this message, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Your enemies have taunted you, saying, Aha, now the ancient heights belong to us. Therefore, Son of Man, give the mountains of Israel this message from the sovereign Lord. Your enemies have attacked you from all directions, making you the property of many nations and the object of much mocking and slander. Therefore, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the sovereign Lord. He speaks to the hills and mountains, ravens and valleys, and to ruined waters and long deserted cities that have been destroyed and mocked by the surrounding nations. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. My jealous anger burns against these nations, especially Edmund, because they have shown their utter contempt for me by gleefully taking my land for themselves as plunder. Therefore, prophesy to the hills and mountains, the ravens and the valleys of Israel. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. I am furious that you have suffered shame before the surrounding nations. Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. I have taken a solemn oath that those nations will soon have their own shame to endure. But the mountains of Israel will produce heavy crops of fruit for my people, for they will be coming home again soon. See, I care about you. I love that line. And I will pay attention to you. Your ground will be plowed and your crops planted. I will greatly increase the population of Israel and the ruined cities will be rebuilt and filled with people. 
I will increase not only the people, but also your animals. A picture of complete wholeness. Everything's being restored. Oh. Oh, mountains of Israel, I will bring people to live on you once again. I will make you even more prosperous than you were before. Then you will know that I am the Lord. I will cause my people to walk on you once again, and you will be their territory. You will never again you will never again rob them of their children. This is what the sovereign Lord says. The other nations taunt you, saying Israel is the land that devours its own people and robs them of their children. But you will never again devour your own people or rob them of their children, says the sovereign Lord. I will let you hear those other nations insult you, and you will no longer be, I'm sorry, I will not let you hear those other nations insult you, and you will no longer be mocked by them. You will not be a land that causes its nations to fall, says the Sovereign Lord. Then this message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, when the people of Israel were living in their own land, they defiled it by the evil way they lived. To me, their conduct was as unclean as a woman's menstrual cloth. They polluted the land with murder and the worship of idols. So I poured out my fury on them. I scattered them to many lands to punish them for the evil way they were the way they had lived. But when they were scattered among the nations, they brought shame on my holy name. For the, for the nation said, These are the people of the Lord. But he couldn't keep them safe in his own land. Then I was concerned for my holy name, on which my people brought shame among the nations. Therefore, give the people of Israel this message from the sovereign Lord. I am bringing you back but not because you deserve it. I'm bringing it to protect my holy name, on which you brought shame while you were scattered among the nations. I will show how holy my great name is, the name on which you brought shame among the nations. And I will reveal my holiness through you before their very eyes, says the Sovereign Lord. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, for I will gather you up from all nations and bring you home again to your land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away, and you will no longer worship idols. I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I love this. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. And you will live in Israel, the land I gave your ancestors long ago, you will be my people, and I will be your God. I will cleanse you of all your filthy behavior. I will give you good crops of grain, and I will send no famines on the land. I will give you great harvest from your fruit trees and fields, and never again will the surrounding nations be able to scoff at your land for its famines. Then you will remember your past sins and despise yourselves for all the detestable things you did. But remember, says the Sovereign Lord, I'm not doing this because you deserve it. Oh, my people of Israel, you should be utterly ashamed of all you have done. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. When I cleanse you from your sins, I will repopulate your cities and the ruins will be rebuilt. The fields that used to lie empty and desolate in the plain view of everyone will again be farmed. And when I bring you back, people will say, This former wasteland is now the Garden of Eden. The abandoned and ruined cities now have strong walls and filled with people. 
Then the surrounding nations that survived will know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruins and replanted the wastelands. For I, the Lord, have spoken and will do what I say. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. I am ready to hear Israel's prayers and to increase their numbers like, like a flock. They will, be a numerous, they will be as numerous as the sacred flocks and fill Jerusalem's streets at the time of her festivals. The ruined cities will be crowded with people once more, and everyone will know that I am the Lord. Amen. Wholeness. Remember I said last week, when Jesus says, peace I give you, peace I leave with you. It's that wholeness. Nothing missing, nothing broken. What identity are you living out of today? What identity are you, are, are you making decisions out of today? Out of the brokenness? Out of the woundedness? Out of the flesh? Or is it truly out of the newness of life, this new heart, this responsive heart to God? That you're my God. share this testimony with you. I've been in this hiring process, trying to hire new hires for work and all. For those who don't know, I serve with crew, Gilda and I do. And so I've been in this hiring process, and um, right towards the end, there seemed to be kind of like this closed door of hiring. And I could have just settled and been like, okay, this is what it is got to do with what you have. I just really felt like, no, God, like, I've got to go back to the leadership and then present. Like, no, like, we need to see it differently. So I did. I, so the, the, it was granted that I could go ahead and bring on the last interview. So this young woman comes in and um, we eventually hire her. Friday. But as my team leader was walking her out, she was just praising God. She's like, you know, I was offered a job on Wednesday. She says, but I just, I just didn't feel like I should take it. So I went home and I spoke to my husband. And so they decided to fast that night and pray. And they both woke up on Thursday and said, no, you know what? I'm going to get hired at career because that's where we believe that God is he's calling me. God's hand of provision, you know, in our lives when he's leading us. There, there can be so many different obstacles that, that may come our way and keep us from the provision in which he has for us. And other offers and other things may pop up in our lives that, that may look better, but we say, no, God, uh, we know you're calling us here. And so, God, that's where we're going to stay focused on. That's where we're going to trust you with. I don't have to take everything that pops up and go that way. I was so moved by hearing her testimony because she didn't know behind the scenes of what was going on. She had no clue of the behind the scenes. But God did. And God moved. And I'm like, wow. Their obedience, their faithfulness to say, you know what? No, let's just not be moved by the first thing that comes our way. Let's trust the fact that God spoke to us months ago. But this is where you would go. I go, wow. Wow, 
His ways are not our ways. Not everything is just going to become easy for us. There may be resistance in your life. There may be things that are just attacking you mentally, stripping you down, fueling all your insecurities. But I'm telling you, it's time for people's, the people of God to stand up and say, no, I'm not going to be defined by all of that. I could choose to. Come what may, I will get up. And I will take a step forward. And I will keep taking a step forward. Because what's the worst that could happen? God, you're with me. And you will lead me through the valley. You will protect me. You have pulled me up out of the mire and the mud with your strong, righteous right hand. You clean me off. I may be an emotional mess, but God, I'll stand and lift my hands and I will praise you. If that's all I do, I will proclaim the goodness of my God. is not to grow weary and doing good for due time. You'll reap your harvest. Just be anxious for nothing, but in all things, give me praise. From a mind that was so rattled with anxiety and panic attacks and depression for many years, to be able to get up every day out of bed, I just go, oh, it's not me. It'd be easy just to be enslaved and shackled. But I finally had to get up, as we all do, and just take that first step and just say, okay, God, you're God. We have to trust in him, you all. That he is a God that restores. That he is a God that is working all things out according to his plan and his purpose. Two more scriptures for us. Let's go to Joel chapter 3. And I do pray that y'all would go back through these scriptures and take some time. I know hearing them read is kind of sitting, and come and go, but I would encourage you this week to open up these scriptures and let the Holy Spirit just minister to you this truth. Joel chapter 3, verse 16. The Lord's voice will roar from Zion and thunder from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth will shake. But the Lord will be a refuge for his people, a strong fortress for the people of Israel. Then you will know that I, the Lord your God, live in Zion. My holy mountain, Jerusalem, will be holy forever. And foreign, foreign armies will never conquer her again. In that day, the mountain will dip, I'm sorry, will drip with sweet wine, and the hills will flow with milk. Water will fill the stream beds of Judah, and the fountain will burst forth from the Lord's temple, watering the arid valley of Achaeus. But Egypt will become a wasteland, and Edmund will become a wilderness, because they attacked the people of Judah, and killed innocent people in their land. But Judah will be filled with people forever, and Jerusalem will endure through all generations. 
I will pardon my people's crimes, which I have not yet pardoned. And I, the Lord, will make my home in Jerusalem with my people. Let's close in Zechariah. Chapter 2. Verse 6. Calling the exiles home. As it was then, so it is today. Calling God's people back. The Lord says, come away, flee from Babylon, the land of the north. For I have scattered you to the four winds. Come away, people of Zion. You are exiled, you who are exiled in Babylon. After a period of glory, the Lord of heaven's army sent me against the nations who plundered you. For he said, anyone who harms you harms my most precious possessions. I will raise my fish to crush them, and their own slaves will, be, will plunder them. Then you will know that the Lord of heaven's armies has sent me. The Lord says, shout and rejoice, O beautiful Jerusalem, for I am coming to live among you. For many nations will join themselves to the Lord on that day, and they too will be my people. I will live among you, and you will know that the Lord of heaven's armies sent me to you. The land of Judah will be the Lord's special possession in the holy land, and he will once again choose Jerusalem to be his own city. Be silent before the Lord, all humanity, for he is springing into action from his holy dwelling. Chapter 8. Then another message came to me from the Lord of Heaven's armies, verse 1. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. My love for Mount Zion is passionate and strong, and I'm consumed with passion for Jerusalem. And now the Lord says, I am returning to Mount Zion, and I will live in Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the faithful city. The mountain of the Lord of Heaven's armies will be called the holy mountain. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Once again, old men and women will walk Jerusalem's streets with their canes and will sit together in the city squares. And the seats of the city will be filled with boys and girls at play. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. All this may seem impossible to you now, a small remnant of God's people, but it is impossible for me, says the Lord of Heaven's armies. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. You can be sure that I will rescue my people from the east and from the west. I will bring them home again to live safely in Jerusalem. They will be my people, and I will be faithful and just toward them as their God. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Be strong and finish the task. Ever since the laying of the foundation of the temple of the Lord of Heaven's armies, you have heard what the prophets have been saying about completing the building. Before the work on the temple began, there were no jobs, no money to hire people or animals. No traveler was safe from the enemy, for there were enemies on all sides. I had turned everyone against each other. But now I will not treat the remnant of my people as I treated them before, says the Lord of Heaven's armies. For I am planting seeds of peace and prosperity among you. The grapevines 
will be heavy with fruit. The earth will produce its crops and the heavens will release the dew. Once more, I will cause the remnant of Judah and Israel to inherit these blessings. Among the other nations, Judah and Israel will become symbols of a cursed nation. But no longer. Now I will rescue you and make you both a symbol and a source of blessing. So don't be afraid. Be strong and get on with rebuilding the temple. For this is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. I will determine to punish you. I was determined to punish you when your ancestors angered me. And I did not change my mind, says the Lord of Heaven's armies. But now I am determined to bless Jerusalem and the people of Judah. So don't be afraid. But this is what you must do. Teach the truth to each other. Render verdicts in your courts that are just and laid to peace and lead to peace. Don't scheme against each other. Stop your love of telling lies that you swear are the truth. I hate all these things, says the Lord. Here's another message that came from me from the Lord of Heaven's armies. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. The traditional fast and times of mourning you have kept in early summer, midsummer, autumn, and winter are now ended. They will become festivals of joy and celebration for the people of Judah. So love, truth, and peace. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. People from our nations and cities around the world will travel to Jerusalem. The people of one city will say to the other, to, to, to the people of another, Come with us to Jerusalem to ask the Lord to bless us. Let's worship the Lord of Heaven's armies. I'm determined to go. Many peoples and powerful nations will come to Jerusalem to seek the Lord of Heaven's armies and to ask for His blessing. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. In those days... Ten men from different nations and languages of the world will clutch at the sleeve of one Jew and they will say, please let us walk with you for we have heard that God is with you. And you say, but that's Israel. But as it was for them, so it is with us. We're God's people. Through Christ, he has united the Jews and the Gentiles as one people. And as it is, as it was then, so shall it be today, that people would see the way we live our lives and that it will clutch at our sleeve. Let us go with you. For we know that God is with you. Open up those scriptures. See the fullness of what's there for us. That God Himself longs to reveal Himself, to bring us to Himself. His desire is that none should perish. And yet He knows there will be those that will not accept. He already knows that there will be those that will refuse him and go their way. I'm going to continue to live how I want to live. And he, will, he knows that there will be those who will claim his name and still have the heart that is in complete rebellion towards him. Oh God, that might be said of us. I want to challenge you all this week. Live your lives in such a way.
I'm challenging myself that will honor Him. And you don't have to wait for your life to be perfect. The whole point is not, again, for you to clean yourself up or for things to be better for you. Some of us are making decisions. Some of us are taking steps. Some of us are believing lies. Some of us are, are, are choosing to, to just remain enslaved. But that is not your identity. And I know the future. You may not see it for the fullness. And so we're making decisions in hopes that it will fix our future. But if you're not seeking your God and for clear direction for Him, don't make decisions for Him. Seek Him, and you will find Him, the Word of God says, when you seek Him with your whole heart. He has a purpose for us, you all, in this generation, when great deception is among us, that we would be the bearers of, of truth, the bearers of light, that we would reflect Him, represent Him, so that others will clutch to our sleeves. I love that picture. I want to go with you because I know God is with you. Wow. Let that be said of us. I'll close with this last song of worship. Teach us.